and just like a body without a spirit is dead, and religion without spirit is dead. An example of spiritual bypass I've noticed in the mental health industry is using mindfulness to treat emotional traumas. It can actually lead a person to become more preoccupied with their thoughts and emotions and even narcissistically focused on. Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Kareem. I am your host, Kareem Sirajuddin. Thank you all for tuning in. Today I have Dr. Azare Weber joining me today. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Dr. Azade, your background's in clinical psychology, but you also have a passion for Islamic psychology. Can you tell us more about the nature of your work and why you chose to go into this field? Thank you for having me on the show today, Kareem. Inshallah, what I say today will be useful. The reason why I went into this field is because there's a lot of healing that needs to be done. And in my work, I would like to be interacting with human, the human essence of human beings rather than um, like the human resource, like people as human resources. So I came from a sales background and I wanted to, although it was very useful, I wanted to get away from that and just start interacting more on a human personal level with people. I think there's opportunities for healing there. That's beautiful. So Dr. Zadeh, I'm really glad you're here today because there's a lot of um, great subjects that you and I have explored a bit before. And today we're going to get into one of our favorites, spiritual bypassing. This term is you know, not used that often, but uh, maybe the first thing we could do is define more what is spirituality in your opinion. What, what is that? And is that different from religion? Because sometimes you hear people today say things like, oh, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. So what would be your take on that? Is there a difference? And how would you define them? That's a great question. I would say that spirituality is the essence of religion. And I would say that if you have religion without spirituality, you have a problem. As if you have spirituality with religion, that's another set of problems. And the way I would look at it is too much religion without any spirituality can lead to corruption. And too much spirituality without any religion, which provides the structure of the essence, hmm. leads to diffusion and a weakening uh, of the person. Can you tell us more about uh, what's one danger zone that a person could go into if it's all about spirituality and there's no system or structure of religion? One danger to me is this postmodern notion that everyone defines spirituality in their own way. And the, the danger with that is if everyone defines spirituality in their own way, then they don't have any common points of reference to establish coherence among each other on such a fundamental issue of life and well-being. Absolutely. Now, that's a great point because in undergrad, I did uh, my double majored and the other major was uh, comparative religion. And I learned a lot, mashallah, just from really diving into the different um, world religions and philosophies and the structure of religion itself. And so this notion of 
um, one thing we find historically is that anytime you had a prophet or a spiritual guide, you know, whether it was Buddha or Isa salam or the Prophet Muhammad salam, um, one thing that you even find in the study of religion is that religion developed as a way to systematize and recreate the spiritual experience of that, you know, first generation with Buddha or, or Jesus or whoever it was. Right. So without religion, how can you really replicate the experience or the um, activities that is going to bring you to those spiritual goals? Right. So I feel like that's one of the points you're making here is you can't just have this airy, you know, spirituality floating around. And one day it's like this and one day it's like that. But when you have that structure or system, uh, it's actually going to help you replicate, reproduce and systematize how to get there. And secondly, with when you just focus on the system and there's no spirit, um, you get now maybe what people, you know, kind of start referring to as, oh, I'm not into organized religion, right? Or organized, it's always about people telling you what to do or this or that. Uh, and so you also lose that spirit. And just like a body without a spirit is dead and religion without spirit is dead in a sense. And that's probably why so many people get turned off. What are your thoughts? I agree with everything you just said. I agree that this is how religion might have gotten a bad name with some people because they don't um, see past the structure into the essence. And I would even say that this has something to do with being stuck on the level of the mind and failing to access the heart. So the essence is in the heart in the way I see it. You know, the structure and the rules and, and the guidelines, these are the level of the alcohol of the mind. So until people have like gone a little bit further, you know, they, they might just have a bad experience of just all the rules and none of the sweetness. Absolutely. Uh, I heard it once said very nicely when I was back in grad school, which was that religion is supposed to be organized spirituality, right? Not organized religion. It's supposed to be organized spirituality. But then when you fixate just on the structure and lose the essence it becomes organized religion, right? And and now it can become more open to politi you know, political, historical impact or whatever else, right? But spirituality, it's a very um, deep term, but I think one of the ways perhaps for us to understand it is it's our ability to tap into our essence, like you said, tap into the essence of everything. And how do we do that? It's by recognizing that everything is interconnected. And everything in impacts everything else, right? It's all one, you follow. And this is something that Islam obviously uh, emphasizes, this notion of tawheed, unification, uh, in our perception of Allah and in our participation of the creation itself and as it's linked to the creator. So spirituality is also about transcending myself and seeing myself as kind of emerging or a part of this great whole, rather than I'm this separate, you know, differentiated thing that ha is not really interested or engaged or paying attention to everything else around us. When we see our religious path or even ourselves as so separate and we become so self-absorbed, we're no longer able to access transcending our uh, own, you know, positioning in the world. We can't really develop empathy or connectivity with others because we're always in here and stuck with myself kind of thing. 
Do you think that's also a facet of the notion of spirituality? Because a lot of spiritual or virtuous practices, when you really think about it, it's about Mm -hmm. sacrificing things for yourself sometimes, right? Like Ramadan, how much sacrifice did we do every day? And discomfort. But then we relied on that spiritual fuel to get us going, even though we weren't having as many calories or sleep and, and what have you. What are your thoughts about some of that feedback? I really liked the way you described religion as organized spirituality. That was very lovely. Some of my thoughts on spirituality are that, and the ability, and you mentioned empathy, is that um, once we have this understanding of spirituality and we're in touch with our essence and we're self-aware, we have an enhanced self-awareness, which is a form of, you know, motivation, empowerment, um, and, and all these other good things, um, once we have that self-awareness, we can start to see it in other people. So if I, as, as I become more and more aware of my spiritual essence, I can see it in my children more. I can see it in my husband more and my, my community members more. So I think this is kind of like uh, empathy, when, when, but on the spiritual dimension, when they say with empathy, as you develop awareness of your emotions, then you can start to understand other people have emotions and you can be empathetic with them. So I think the same mechanism is at play with a spiritual essence of people is once you have awareness of your own spiritual essence, and, and this is a, a lifelong process, then you become more aware of other people's spiritual essence and can treat them with better respect and uh, humanity. So from what I'm uh, hearing you say, Dr. Azada, that spirituality and religion are two sides of the same coin. They have to work together. And it's dangerous if we overemphasize or fixate on one side of that coin over the other. So what exactly is spiritual bypassing? I feel like if we become more aware of the phenomenon of spiritual bypassing, it can actually enhance our sense of sincerity with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and those around us. Spiritual bypassing, I'm just going to share the definition according to the psychologist that termed it. I believe it was John Wellwood. Uh, And he says that spiritual uh, bypassing is a tendency to use spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep or avoid unresolved emotional issues, psychological wounds, and unfinished developmental tasks. I think the first thing that comes up for me there is one of the things we have right on our Nur uh, website, right on the homepage. Like when we say, what does Nur do? You know, one of the things we explain is, you know, sometimes we go to, let's say, an imam or a religious figure for help or support around some personal matters. And you'll hear things like, oh, pray more and you'll be fine. Read more Quran. And that's the kind of solution. Sometimes those are actually ways that we're spiritually bypassing, right? Because sometimes a person might be uncomfortable with dealing with the issue at hand, or they're not skilled enough to do it. So they just say, look, let's just pray more and and do this. Now, of course, that's important. But can you tell us more, in your opinion, why sometimes that's simply not enough? And sometimes it could even be damaging, perhaps. Yeah, I would like to say that uh, I first want to add that prayer and reading the Quran are very important. And I do think that they are part of living um, the optimal healthy life. Uh, but I do think that when you're dealing with trauma, they're necessary but insufficient. 
And the reason why I say they're insufficient is because the spiritual dimension of humans and the emotional dimensions of humans are two different dimensions. They need to be treated separately. So when someone recommends spiritual beliefs and practices to treat emotional, they're not really paying attention to the emotional issue at hand, and they're bypassing it. So I think that can even make someone more anxious in a way, or you know, drive them even further away from religion because they feel ignored and not heard and invalidated. So I think that um, you know the emotion needs to be treated separately and of its own, and then once that's treated, then the person can go back to a more holistic view of how do I want to improve my life, and you know, then you know they can take you know advice on spiritual practices again. You know, once that issue has been addressed. So I'd like to use the analogy for to explain spiritual bypass on the na- analogy of the physical body. So if I cut my arm and I have a gaping wound on my arm and someone tells me to go pray so it'll get better when what I really need in that moment is stitches to close the wound then I would be disserviced if I followed that person's advice I need to go and get my arm stitched up and then after that you know I I can return to my spiritual practice and what's interesting is people don't realize that Prayer and and relying on Allah is, of course, fundamental and necessary, right? But sometimes we become impractical or dangerous with our faith because I feel like sometimes people associate faith with something irrational. Oh, you just have to believe, right? This is how it is. Oh, just trust in God. It's like, yeah, but Allah created intellect. He tells us constantly to think and reflect and seek knowledge. And, you know, when you look at Islamic civilizations and our history, we did some incredible things because we took knowledge and science and understanding the nature of reality and things very, very seriously, because that helps us understand and recognize who Allah is more clearly. So I think that for us out there that may sometimes assume that faith is an opposition of rationale, I want to share something. I think that faith... Um, and rationale are also two sides of the same coin. And I'll give you a simple example. If I have such strong iman in God, and I know that God can do anything, right? This is what you're supposed to believe. You know Allah can do anything. He's all-powerful, etc. And I have full trust in God. And whatever He wills is what's going to happen. And if He doesn't will, it's not going to happen. So I take this idea now, or this belief system, and I say, okay, I want to jump off the roof and try flying. I want to, you know, see if my, you know, my trust and reliance in God and he can do anything. So if I jump with real pure intention, right, and I might have really genuine good intentions, uh, I'm going to jump and see what Allah does with me. If I die, it's his will. If, if not, if I fly, then it's a miracle, right, or whatever, right? That would be considered, you know, a person who thinks they have all this faith, but they're actually irrational, and putting themselves into danger. So is that really what we're talking about here? No, because faith, ladies and gentlemen, isn't just some blind you know, belief in something that doesn't make sense, right? Faith in even Old English, as well as the word in Arabic, iman, actually means trust and security, right? So if we experience trust and security, 
it's actually a rational thing. If I say, hey, Azada, I trust that you can complete this project by Friday. What does that mean? It means I'm confident in you and I believe you have the skills that you can do this. Or I trust that you will um, be able to do, take care of this for me or pick me up from the airport or that we would even you know, show up today for this meeting, right? If I don't trust somebody or have security in something or somebody, the, then that means it's irrational because we don't trust people unless there's reasons and evidence to, right? We don't feel secure about our environment or our job or what we're doing with our lives unless we've thought it through, true or false. I agree. Um, I would like to add that I think that faith and rationality are not mutually exclusive. If I want to practice a lot of faith, I might see that rationally it makes sense for me to do these steps so that um, I can love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, a certain way or, you know, worship him, you know, worship him. So, yeah, I, I don't see them as um, exclusive of each other. And I, I would even say that, but I would like to say that uh, rationality without faith um, can be a problem because it's like, uh, it leads us to like all objectivity. Like I agree that all, all faith and no rationality is, is not, you know, the ideal situation, but also all rationality and no faith is not the ideal situation. And I want to even say that if everything's rational and objective, we kind of are back to the situation of religion without essence. Since religion is, you know, the external aspects you know, the objective things that can be measured. So, yeah, I would say that uh, all rationality without faith is also a bad thing. Absolutely. And I'm glad you closed that out because I was going to get to that part too. But you're absolutely right because an example of that would be, you know, my wife or my child or I'm really sick and I'm going to the hospital because it's the most rational thing to do. I need to get treatment or, or do this and listen to the doctors. Right. And then you have, let's say, your wife or family members come and they say, oh, we're going to pray for you. And, and they're reading Quran in the room or whatever before you. And, and the person's like, oh, that none of that is going to make a difference. Hey, the doctor has great reviews. You know, he knows what he's doing. We don't need any of that faith or spirituality or reliance in Allah. And that would be an example of, let's say, just overemphasizing the procedures of this world and forgetting about harnessing the power and healing of the creator of the world. Right. One thing that's always has helped me for the past several years is this notion that God helps people who help themselves. And in order to help myself, I found that I have to make rational decisions. And, and then by making these rational decisions, you know, I am more worthy uh, of the help of God. Right. So when I focus on, let's say, my communication skills with my spouse, um, A, I'm improving in my interpersonal skills, my, you know, emotional intelligence, but I'm also going to be improving in my spirituality in a sense, right? Because I'm improving my human connection or my character uh, and, and bringing more mercy and compassion and empathy into the home, for instance, right? So that's a virtuous thing to do. So it's very important for us to recognize that anything you do uh, for any part of you, is going to optimize the total self, right? And we talk about these things, emotions, mind, body, whatever, just for the sake of understanding distinction, perhaps, right? So we just want to uh, qualify that, inshallah.
So spiritual bypassing, let's get back to this. So spiritual bypassing is when we kind of play the Islam card or the religion or spirituality card to avoid dealing with the real human existential matters at hand. Can you give us, you know, one example that you have, let's say, worked with or observed and how you were able to help them recognize this phenomenon? Yes. So an example of spiritual bypass I've noticed in the mental health industry is using mindfulness to treat emotional traumas. And, um, and I'm saying mindfulness exclusively. And I think what um, can happen is mindfulness is a spiritual practice from Buddhism. And I think uh, what can happen when mindfulness is used to treat emotional disturbances is actually, um, since the emotional component isn't treated, is it can actually lead a person to become more preoccupied with their thoughts and emotions and even narcissistically focused on their own subjectivity in a way that leads to further some spiritual disintegration happening. And I think the flaw happens um, in that what one can become mindful of and like sort of hold in their mind without activating other neural networks, if you will, is that what one becomes mindful of isn't then the skills aren't taught of how to bring that into your heart to become a better person. So I could, you know, use, learn mindfulness to deal with my anxiety, but then I could go ahead and since that hasn't been brought down into my heart to make me a better person, I can use that mindfulness to go out and do some sort of psychotic behavior with a very focused, you know, emotionally controlled way. Right. I love how you worded that, this idea of we sometimes need to get out of our head and feel it in our hearts or in our essence because the heart is an organ of perception, right? At least according to the paradigm we're coming from. Um, and so I can see how that connects to a lot of spiritual bypassing examples I've seen. Like, for instance, a person might use the Islam card for their sexual relations in a marriage. Like, oh, it's your obligation. Or they'll use the Islam card, um, you know, when they're constantly having conflicts with their spouse. And, oh, I don't want to deal with you. I don't want to talk to you. I'm just going to go take it up with Allah and go pray. Uh, so that person according to what you're saying, is not actually tapping into their heart. They're still kind of even in their mind and they're just dealing with this person's upset or I screwed up and I don't know how to confront those emotions or be vulnerable or ask for forgiveness. So I'm going to withdraw. And there is some kind of a rationalizing or minimizing mental process perhaps that accompanies that. What are your thoughts? I agree that approach would be quite abstract because it's not in touch with the concrete realities of the other person's uh, emotional experience. Right. So it's like saying, what, instead of just saying, here, here we go again, this person's upset with me, or they're always, you know, negative, you would not withdraw and come up with some other way to, you know, unplug, right? Oh, I'm just going to go pray, because then that makes me feel better about my own self. Right. Because obviously there's some tension there, right? Besides I hurt this person, but also how come I hurt this person? How come I don't understand why I hurt them? Or I don't even know what I did wrong, right? All of those things could perhaps shut us down on some level. So if we don't actually um, learn to value and validate or try to receive where the other person's coming from uh, and not just take it you know, everything so personally or as attack, but rather 
again, that oneness or interconnectivity of spirituality of let me kind of step out of my own body and head here and understand why they feel this way. What are their values that have been threatened or undermined or attacked? Why do they feel this emotion because of what I said or did? You know, and you and you try to connect those dots. And perhaps, Sister Azade, the reason why so many people, especially couples I see, they keep having the same conflicts or issues resurface is because that experience doesn't happen where there's that deeper connection and a sense of closure around the matter. Because if you and I just say, all right, I'm not going to talk to you for three days and then we just kind of go back to normal, right? Uh, that is still, that issue is still lingering under the surface and it's just going to pop its head up again, you know, by the evening or by next week. What are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are that, um, it's also setting a precedence where the next time you have tension in the relationship, you're going to take a three day break. And you know what, that time it might actually lead to four days because you're building tolerance for mm. non-communication. So it's, it's not a good direction to go into, um, I also want to note um, just uh, some compassion for spiritual bypass. I've done it, you know, in, in my life. And um, when I really reflected on why did I spiritually bypass, it was um, because of anxiety. Like, and I thought that, you know, like maybe like me, instead of like helping my brother with uh, some problem he has, I go and pray for him. Like, okay, so instead of like, he actually needs practical help at this moment, instead of giving him that practical help, I'm like, okay, I prayed for you. And that's, a, that is in a way sort of a spiritual bypass. And I think that I did that um, out of anxiety because I felt I didn't have enough resources at the moment to help him. Or if I helped him, like what would happen, you know, to this thing I'm trying to focus on over here. So I, I just wanted to bring a little attention to that, where I think that uh, spiritual bypassing does happen because uh, out of anxiety. So as people learn to become more compassionate about the anxiety they experience and you know anxiety around them, then they can be more com um, they can start to minimize their spiritual bypassing habits and be more emotionally present for others in their life. Absolutely, yeah, and that's great. Uh, thank you for sharing that example because. It's important for us to recognize that spiritual bypassing, the reason why we're talking about it today is so that we become aware of this phenomenon, right? doesn't mean it will never happen or that we don't even do it ourselves. No, I'm, I'm, I have my own, you know, proof of that. But it's that recognizing if you don't, you know, check those, uh, check, check yourself around that spiritual bypassing, you may be under the, you know, uh, illusion that I'm just being more righteous or helpful when you're actually not... Um, optimizing your yourself, and your, you may not even be impacting the other person that needs you in a uh, healthier or particular way. So spiritual bypassing is it's something that we're all going to probably do in the different ways that we do. But let me ask you this: So, do you think that the anxiety, which you know, in a sense, could be a sense of feeling overwhelmed or you know, concerned or even afraid? about something happening or my inability to, you know, do something about it. Uh, do you think that that feeling of helplessness that sometimes uh, results from anxiety is why we may go to God or religion uh, in those times? Because that's not always a bad thing, right? When you feel helpless or alone, you turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's a wonderful, you know, go-to to have. But 
how do we know, in your opinion, Dr. Azadeh, when I'm doing it for the sake of God in my soul versus I may be just doing it to escape? Like, how did you learn that maybe you were doing that to your brother and it wasn't really just about your, you know, your righteous uh, way of helping him, let's say? That's a great question. And I would say that you're right. It is a very beautiful thing to feel hopeless and, and vulnerable and to take that experience and turn to a law. That's the right thing to do. Um, and I would say that I know when I'm spiritually bypassing, when I do that exclusively, and I want to place an emphasis on and or or. So hmm. I can turn to a law and, and do my prayer for my brother and give him the practical assistance that he can, that I'm capable of in that moment. And, and so, so I'm using an and to, to link these two things which is like the practical assistance. It could be like emotional, like, you know, attunement in the moment, or it can be like, you know, maybe driving him to an interview if his tire is flat or just something if I can. Um, and the, the spiritual dimension, so the objective and the subjective kind of, you know, united instead of only doing one or the other. Like, you know, either I'm going to help him practically and, you know, not pray or I'm going to pray and not help him practically. So I would say that it's the focus on the and or the or. So when, when both things are happening at the same time, I think that the wheels on, you know, the different dimensions are turning. And, and you're not just kind of stuck in, in one plane, if you will. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's great. And sometimes all you need is one or the other. Right? Like, let's say your cousin is thousands of miles away and you know they're going through something like... Praying for them might be the best and only thing you can do versus your neighbor, you know, needs some sugar. You don't say, oh, I'll pray for you. That sugar will come to your kitchen, right? You're like, here you go. Uh, mm -hmm. No prayer or anything needed. I just need to go hand you a cup of sugar, right? So so that's that's important because, again, it's like going back to even that idea of iman and reasoning is they're always working together and sometimes you have to emphasize one um, in a particular context over the other, or you have to work with both of them as optimized as possible together, etc. right? So I think that that's important for us to recognize that there's so much dynamism, you know, in being human and in how we can manage or participate in the world that we're in. Um, and sometimes people just look for a kind of, you know, uh, one algorithm applies to all kind of thing. But that's not always uh, the right approach, perhaps. What are your thoughts? What you just said really clarified my thinking. And like with the example you said on uh, giving the neighbor the cup of sugar, you know, because one time you might need something like that. Yeah, you might, it might not be like a literal, like praying for the person, but I think it's a intention in your heart um, at the moment, you know, not like necessarily the literal prayer, but the intention of the heart, like, you know, why you're giving the person the sugar and, and in a way that is like prayer. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I think that's great because connection, spirituality, dua, prayer doesn't require you to necessarily be in a masjid or you have to, you know, go and do your actual salah. It can be a state of intent or attitude in the moment even. Right, and we know this because in al-amalu bin-niyat, as the Prophet said, that your actions and activities are shaped by your intentions. 
right? So that's why, for example, when you go into the more nuances of Islamic law or fiqh, it actually set, shows us that you could intend to do something good, but because you didn't get to manifest it in an activity or physically, you'll still get the reward that you did that, right? So for instance, if you thought to yourself, my neighbor um, texted me that she needs sugar, and I'm in the middle of something, and I made a note that I, I want to make sure I go give her sugar, and also it'll be a good chance for me to go be a nice neighbor and just say, how are you doing? How's the family? So you have that intention. But you get three phone calls in a row, and you totally forget. And now it's 10 p.m., and it's too late for you to go knock on your neighbor's door. So in that, that would be a situation where you intended to do something beautiful, but it didn't actually manifest yet. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his generosity still kind of records that as if you did exactly that, right? Which is which I think adds that extra layer to what we're discussing, perhaps. Yeah, that's a beautiful part of our religion. And, and I think that the um, intention, you know, being like, you know, rewarded is, is such like, like the example you mentioned of the relative on the other part of the world who you can't actually help with, you know, practical you know, or like emotional attunement at that moment, but you might have that attention or like sometimes like you just have to be aware of your own boundaries and limitations and when you need to uh, practice some self-care so that you can wake up with more patience and tolerance the next day. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Dr. Azada, I wanted to ask you, now that we've kind of shared a bit more about what spiritual bypassing is, and to summarize, it's when we use religious or spiritual ideas or practices to skirt or avoid or neglect the real issues at hand, right? Um, so my marriage is suffering. I think that by spending more time at the masjid or praying more, that that's somehow going to do the trick. I'm so, I don't believe it's not. It's going to hurt, right? Because just getting that closeness to God could actually help you turn the lights on. Right. It's like all that Quran. Maybe Allah will bless you with some insight. You'd be like, you know, I just I need to go home and hug my wife and look her in the eyes and actually apologize. Because after praying these four rakahs, that's what came up for me. Right. So that's actually uh, I hope nobody understands that we're not saying you shouldn't do that. We're just saying that because everything is about this oneness and interconnectivity. I think what we're trying to say is we need to be holistic in how we approach our matters. And recognize that the more we know about um, ourselves and the knowledge and the skills and education we can we can get, that it's going to optimize every part and our total self. Exactly. For and for example, like let's say go and I get some training on how to you know manage my emotional situation or hold my emotional situation, have more compassionate for it. You know, that can decrease my overall stress level. And I might find that once my stress level is lower, that I'm actually able to pray on time. Mm. You know, because maybe like making prayer on time, you know, it, it's that spiritual functioning is impaired by, you know, some emotional stuff that comes up for me. And once that's resolved, it actually, you know, improves my spiritual functioning. So what are some ways, Dr. Azadi, that we can know when spiritual bypassing is happening, perhaps. I mean, we gave some examples, but how do I know? Do I ask my what my intentions are? Do I recognize that if I'm very uncomfortable about dealing with something with someone, 
that it could be me being doing spiritual bypassing if I'm just turning to religion too much, perhaps, and not actually resolving anything uh, at hand. How would what would you say is the biggest indicator of that? I would say intention is a good indication. Like really being honest with yourself and you know why you have the attitude at the moment that you do and uh, the notion that this is the best way to address the problem. Right. And how can we maybe be more honest with ourselves or develop that sincerity? I think that that involves building resilience, um, building self-awareness and being able to tolerate, tolerate greater amounts of stress, being able to function under pressure. Um, because being honest with yourself, you know, that's going to create a lot of pressure and turmoil and stress in the moment. Like once you, when you have that realization that like, you know, maybe this, uh, you know, tendency that I have isn't as pure as, as I would like to be, that's a very painful moment. Um, so being able to tolerate that stress and not have a knee-jerk reaction to it and just being able to be compassionate in that moment will uh, facilitate some of that process. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I would like to add also that one of the ways that we can avoid spiritual bypassing is also by observing, you know, the evidence around us, right? If I, let's say, um, keep running into the same issue or matter with a particular person, but I'm praying more, and in my estimation, I'm getting closer to God, yet I'm not getting closer to the person that I have this problem with, then that might be a signal from Allah himself to say, look, it's wonderful that you're connecting with me, but connection to me is about also connecting with the creation, right? And so if you're not able to still improve things with a person, um, then that might be an indication that uh, you're spiritually bypassing, right? Und with the condition that you are avoiding talking about it or, you know, doing what needs to be done and you keep kind of resorting to religion. Now, of course, the other person might be very stubborn or what have you, right? But, you know, we're trying to give people uh, a basis here of perhaps, you know, how to how to navigate all this. I agree with you. To, um, to use objective feedback to inform, you know, if you're spi spiritual bypassing or not. And while you were talking, what popped up in my mind was, a, a, like a parent and a teenager dynamic where the teenager um, is, is having some issues and maybe they're depressed and anxious and the parents trying to help them feel better, you know, and just ha have them be, you know, more comfortable. So they tell the teenager to, you know, pray more because maybe the teenager has not been regular with prayers. And then the parent goes and, uh, prays and does extra, you know, prayers, you know, because they they are worried about the teenager. But, you know, this goes on, let's say like several months or a year later, the same issues are still coming up with the teenager. Um, that could be a good indication that something else needs to complement the spiritual treatment of this problem. And uh, some emotional attunement uh, could be useful. Excellent. Wonderful example. So Dr. Azada, thank you so much so far for your uh, wonderful insights. And I think this was a great start today to some of these subjects and we'll certainly be unpacking and exploring more together. I'd like to close off with you sharing some tips to the audience 
on how to enhance their spirituality uh, or be aware of the spiritual bypassing phenomena and how to avoid it. Okay. So uh, a tip that I have, and this tip is for growing self-awareness, is the value sorting um, activity. And that is to come up with 10 to 20 values and write them on cards and then um, sort them between most important, somewhat important, and least important. And then um, once you have your most important pile to rank them like number one you know most important value yeah like this one i definitely cannot live without that would be like number one right like my honor or my you know intel you know intellect etc like i value that so that's what you mean is we're going to write down 10 to 20 different values that we that are in our lives or we identify with and then we want to choose the top 10 that essentially we can't compromise on like god's will family, health, um, education, and maybe fame would be one that's on the least important, you know, but just developing clarity around values. And the reason is, is because uh, values um, connect us to our heart. And uh, once we're connected to our heart, uh, we have, we are start to develop greater self-awareness and knowing uh, where our values are, help us to make decisions and know which direction to go. So becoming clearer about our values um, is a way to reduce anxiety. And um, as anxiety level goes down, it's easier to, to notice when you might have an impulse to spiritual bypass. And then as you become aware of that impulse, you can kind of sweep in. And before you act on that impulse, you know, do something, you know, more helpful in that moment. And I also wanted to add uh, why I place this emphasis on values is because um, I, and self-awareness is because I think that we are all innately self-aware in our spiritual dimension. So as we, I think that becoming more aware of our values connects us to our heart, reduces anxiety, and you know it's, it's a pathway to our spiritual dimension, which is how our self-awareness once we connect to that, we're connecting to our innate self-awareness and we become aware aware of our self-awareness. We become increasingly aware of our self-awareness. Fascinating. Love that exercise. I would also like to add that um, intentions, as we discussed earlier, is, is so crucial, right? And, and at the center of me. And three things that I remember that helps me with my intentions is asking myself, why am I doing this? Um, what value or exchange am I expecting from this thing that I'm doing? And from whom am I expecting this value? Right? So if I want to go to the masjid to pray Aisha, I have to ask myself, why do I want to go do this? Well, I want to go because it's good to pray in the masjid. Okay, take it further. And I think it's important to always ask ourselves sometimes the same question more than once. Because the first time, we'll just give the answer we want to tell ourselves, right? And maybe you've experienced this, uh, Dr. Azadeh, like in, in your sessions with people, is that sometimes when you repeat the same question, you allow them to get past that defense mechanism, right? Or protective layer and really get to, is this really what you mean, right? Um, and so asking myself, why do I do this? 
Um, am I going because I want to connect with Allah to see friends? Maybe it's both. Maybe there's somebody I'm interested in that happens to be at the masjid on this day at this time. So we really want to be honest with ourselves. And remember, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, He created you and He knows exactly what you whisper to yourself. So you're completely transparent and exposed before Allah. When you're honest with yourself, it's not because God doesn't know. It's, you, it's for you. It's so that you can actually be honest with yourself, right? So as Aristotle, I believe, or Socrates said, you know, thoughts are the soul's speech with itself. So you are talking to yourself. You have to pay attention to what you're saying, what you're intending. So that's why am I doing something? What am I, what value do I want to get out of this? Do I want reward from Allah? Do I want you know, to connect with some friends? Do I want to just, you know, do something because I'm bored, right? So it's about sorting through the value that you think you're going to get out of it. And if you realize that the value that you want might be, let's say, not as pleasing to your soul, or it's more superficial, guess what? In that moment, you can update or modify your intention. Or, you know, you know what? I should want to go because I just want to feel more intimacy with God and put in that effort to take a drive and I'm doing it for God, not because there's any other alternative motive. So we also have to remember that in real time with our own inner dialogue, we should be editing or being like, Kareem, why do you think that way? Or why are you just focusing on that value? Why don't you bring it back to what it should be about? Right? And the third is, from whom do I want this value? So ultimately, if we always remember we want something for the sake of Allah, and that, that could be a whole podcast, for the sake of Allah, that that's always going to make us a winner. So simple example, you know, you get into a conflict with a family member, you know you're right, right? All the evidence is on your side, but you don't be stubborn and you don't make the person feel bad. You tolerate that the person may not get you right now, or they're not accepting your position. But for the sake of Allah, for the sake of the fact that you and this person will probably be gone in 50 years, right? Or 100 years, for sure, you will be non-existent. And both of you will be in the same state of accountability with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Do I really want to make a big fuss about this right now, right? So that sometimes allows us to kind of let go and say, you know what, I'm just going to let it slide. They've had a very stressful day. They barely slept today. I'm not going to make make it my now mission to prove to them why I'm right. I'm just going to say, okay, I love you anyways. You know, let's just uh, let it go and enjoy the rest of our evening. So that's like, you know, again, one facet of understanding what it means to do things for the sake of Allah. It's not to get any specific um, reward or outcome from the person or from creation, but you're doing it in the name of principle or virtue, perhaps. So I just wanted to add some of those uh, tips as well, because I think it really does connect to this theme of avoiding sp spiritual bypassing, because spiritual bypassing essentially requires you to have sincerity and self-awareness and honesty to make sure it doesn't happen more often than not. Good points. And um, I, I wanted to add that sometimes, you know, like you're saying, trying to be right in the moment, even if you are right, doesn't help the, your rapport with the other person. And, you know, is it really worth breaking rapport with the person, which it takes a lot of effort to get back in rapport, when you could just be uh, tolerant and let things, you know, slide for the sake of the law? Dr. Azadi, thank you so much for your wonderful insights today. And I really enjoyed our conversation and inshallah more to come. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Azadi is now available to provide uh, services under Noor. I'm very blessed that she is honoring us with her presence and, and wisdom. 
Yes, thank you. I'm really honored to be part of the NOR team and I'm looking forward to helping people out there in the Muslim community with emotional uh, and social skill building, uh, relationship matters, also spiritual counseling, improving functional abilities and some motivational techniques. And I'm open to working with adults and teenagers and children. Excellent. Thank you so much, Dr. Azadeh. I'm very excited about your participation. Thank you all for tuning in to the Coffee with Kareem podcast. We will catch you next time. Don't forget to visit NudeHuman.com to learn more about our services. Leave us a review on iTunes and support this podcast at Patreon.com slash Coffee with Kareem. Thank you.